there's no warning sign for the week ahead or the month ahead or the year ahead. There should be something like warning that life's going to happen and you just never know what's going to occur. We live in the midst of our very normal lives and we often presume that normal life's just going to keep on going normally. But it doesn't, does it? It plods along for a while and then we have an accident or we meet someone who changes something or we fall in love or we say something that we regret or we do something which we regret. We think life's just going to unfurl, but it doesn't. It's a bumpy ride often and a surprise. I've tried for many years to learn Italian uh, really unsuccessfully. But there's one word in Italian that I came across which is a really normal word and I wish we had a word like it in English. And it, because I just love the sound of this word, attraversiamo. Attraversiamo just means crossing over. So in the passage we had read to us from Mark, when Jesus said to his friends, let's cross over. If he was an Italian Jesus, he would have said, attraversiamo, let's go. And I like it because it's such a, a rich word and it almost has this kind of um, illumination in it to say, you know, crossing over, moving from one place to another, beware, it's a really big deal. And today, I, I want us to think about this movement, this normal movement, and how extraordinary things can occur, and how God can come into our very normal movements in life. You see up in the, the passage, um, it's a really simple little story, isn't it? I imagine that the friends of Jesus were thinking life is just going to go ahead as usual. He said, let's go on the other side. And they go, okay, they're fishermen. So they get in their boat and they decide to go to cross to the other side. They leave the crowds behind and they've got their little flotilla of boats with them. They're used to this world and so they have expectations that they're going to arrive on the other side safe and sound. Interesting though, isn't it? That it doesn't say he said to his friends, but it says he said to his disciples. The friends of Jesus were disciples, which meant they were learners from Jesus. They, they were seeing him as their, their key teacher. And they moved really from this idea of being friends to being the ones who had listened to Jesus intently and finally they moved to the area where they realized he wasn't just a rabbi, but he was something far beyond. And I suppose it's where I think we slip into the story, that we too are listeners to Christ. We too are followers of his, we're, we're learners from him. And I think it's often very easy when we're learning from him when everything is going so smoothly 
that life has a habit of creeping up on us, just like it did with these characters. It says that a furious squall came up, and the sea apparently there is notorious for having storms which just arise really quickly. Waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. I imagine this is the experience of everyone in this building, that we start out one day expecting one thing and something else happens. We go, blimey, I didn't expect that. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I woke up and I just thought this, what happened met someone, I saw something, or I heard something. That's what life's like. This is such a normal event with an extraordinary outcome. When people have a day where it's just shocking for them, they say this one phrase, I can't believe it. When someone that they love dies, that's often what people say. I can't believe it. Even if the death was expected. Well, they just pull out of their car and say, I can't believe it. And it's not that we can't actually believe what has happened to us, but it's that we're so set on a simple course that this is how life is going to go today. And then something happens. You've all been there, I'm sure. In the hymn that we sang earlier, It Is Well With My Soul, Horatio Spafford, the guy, and you might know this story. If you do, I'm going to bore you with it again. Horatio Spafford, the guy who wrote the words to that, It Is Well With My Soul. He was a wealthy lawyer who lived in Chicago, and there was a fire in Chicago in 1871, and his business was burnt down and there was a depression and he went broke. Not too long after that, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. And he and his wife and their four daughters decided that they needed something new and they knew Moody, the great evangelist. And Moody was going to have an evangelistic mission in England and so they said, we're going to go over and we're going to help Moody, his wife, his four daughters. But he said, I've got some business to do. So the wife and the four daughters, they left on the first boat. But he got a, a cable about a week later um, saying, from his wife saying, all lost. There was a storm at sea, just like the storm in this passage. And the boat turned over, his four daughters died, and his wife survived. And he then got on the next boat to get to England. And when he was at the spot where they said the boat went down, he wrote that hymn. He wouldn't have expected it, would he? At the start of that year, he wouldn't have said, well, you know, what are the odds that, you know, my five children are gonna die? What are the odds that I'm going to lose everything that I own? I presume he thought as a wealthy person that he was somehow immunized from life, but he wasn't immunized from life. And what he embedded in the midst of this tragedy was his faith. 
it's not a, a hymn that I particularly like, actually, because uh, I, I think it doesn't have the passion of the psalmist. Um, it's the idea that, you know, it's well with my soul, and I think, wow, he spoke with great equanimity, which I think owes more to British stoicism than to um, a, a sense of just how horrible life can be. The disciples are freaked out because they're in a storm. And so they ask Jesus a simple question. They wake him up. Teacher, remember rabbi, so they're trying to learn from him. Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we perish? He doesn't answer them. Which, we've been there, haven't we? Where we ask God a simple question. Why did this happen? He doesn't answer. It's like Job, that story. of Such a dreadful event in life. And Job says, why did this happen? And God has no answer for him. God has an answer, but he doesn't give it to Job. For these guys, they got no answer. But Jesus does act. He says, quiet, be still. And just like the creator God who makes by his words, he makes stillness and quiet out of chaos. It's really reminiscent of going back to the first chapter of the Bible where God creates out of nothing. It's a miracle that I don't think is the highlight of the story, actually. It's a miracle which really is a, a, a beacon which says, who is this character? Because if he can do this, who could he be? Is he merely a, a traveling rabbi? Or is he the divine in the flesh? Enormous question, isn't it? You know, Thomas Jefferson, the American president, he cut this out of his Bible. Uh, he went through the New Testament and uh, anything about Jesus where he did anything miraculous, he cut that out. He said, oh no, that's a bit too difficult. Uh, I wanted Jesus who didn't do the miraculous. But he did do it and how do we process that? And why did he do the miracle then? and not at other times. That's the questions we have, isn't it? That's the question we have when the person that we love who has the diagnosis and we go, Lord, why can't you do the miracle to them now? I'm asking for a good thing. But there's no answer here. It's just that Jesus acts in the very normal movement of people. He acts. And there's no sense that, oh yeah, this is exactly how it should operate. And uh, when we have storms, we just call on Jesus and he'll calm the storms. Or the healings that we read about in all the Gospels. Oh yeah, when you're sick, you just pray and it's fine. Had leukemia, oh, I'm healed now. Had cancer, healed now. It doesn't work like that. It's a mystery within it as well of how God operates. And these disciples of Jesus, these learners, are flummoxed and perplexed and troubled, just like we are. 
That's why I, I love the stories in the gospel stories, because they're not like Spafford's hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. You know, it's well with my soul. It's like, oh, yes, I've, I've lost my five children. It's well with my soul. No, no, I'm with the disciples saying, what? I, I don't know. I don't understand what's happening. I'm kind of getting you, Jesus, but this is this is so big. You, you just stopped a storm and... How am I to respond here? They bumble through their faith. I think that's how we operate, isn't it? We bumble through our faith. We aren't good Christians. Because then it would be, you know, get your act together and do your life well and God says, well done. Now we cope with people like the disciples who are just mumblers, who are confused in the midst of their everyday life. And they're trying to put their faith into the midst of it all. Jesus, when he responds to them in verse 40, can we go to the next slide, please? This to me is the thing which really is the puzzle. He said to his disciples, so it's this calm storm, you imagine the scene. They're freaked out, you know, well, we're going to drown. He quietly says, wind stop. That stops. This is incredible hush. Because they're in nature, there's no ambient noise around. I imagine they're like, what just happened? And he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In Greek, there are a number of words for fear. In English, we have the word fear. In Greek, there are three main words that they use, and they use two of them in this passage. The afraid here is very close to doubt. Why are you so afraid? Why? Are you thinking, this might happen or that might happen? It's a double-mindedness of anxiety, fear. And Jesus says to them, why, why are you like that? And then he brings faith into it. Do you still have no faith? It's, it would have been, and it could be to us, an irritating question. Why are you afraid? Think about to the last time you're afraid, and it may have been this morning or any time in your life. We're all afraid of lots of stuff, aren't we? But we often don't ask ourselves, why am I afraid? But Jesus really probes them. Is it a probing of, of not saying fear in terms of that kind of uh, the other fear, which is like a fight or flight fear, which is just a like a gut reaction. But it's more a, a, a fear of faith. Like, can I actually trust God? Does he have my best at heart? Does he love me? Is he for me? Or am I completely alone? With the disciples saying, is the world in... Does it have the power? Does nature have its power? Or does God? And they're bouncing between the two. And Jesus comes into it and says, do you really think God is powerless? 
against nature? Do you think God is powerless against circumstances? You can see it's a faith question. It's a, um, a love it for us. For us to ask ourselves when we're afraid, is this like a fear faith? Do, um, a lesson in God here. If I believe in him, can he come into this circumstance? And can I rest in him in some way? That I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Jesus seemed to be pushing them into the terrain of questioning, is God in control? And that's a question that we do ask ourselves, isn't it? Especially when we have those days, or those weeks, or those months, or the years, when the wheels fall off our life. Either from internal or from external. When we're not coping with life at all, and we do ask, where is God in the midst of this? I don't think this passage is a cute little fix-all, where we go, are you Jesus will calm your storm quickly. But I do think it pushes us into the terrain of saying, I want this to be a faith journey with God, rather than just me coping. I don't have to be a super person. I don't have to be a person who can cope with terrors and fears, but I can be a person who just looks towards this Jesus in the midst of stuff that happens that I just don't understand and start questioning, can I trust him here? The last section here, when that says they were terrified, that's the other type of fear. That's the fear when, um, you know, if, if um, I leaned on this, hope this won't uh, happen because that would be a great dramatic moment, but I could put my life in this. If I pushed on this and it gave way, I would be scared. A adrenaline would course through my veins and, <gasps> and I would have no control of it at all. Well, that's the second type of fear that they're in. I think that type of natural fear, you can't do anything about that. But this really indicates what it was like dealing with Jesus. They were terrified. Because if he is who he says he is, what does that mean about how I live? And that to me is the question that we're constantly wrestling with as followers, as disciples of Jesus. If he is who he says he is, what does that mean in terms of how I live with the people around me? How does it impact my work? How does it impact my finances? How does it impact my everyday activities? If Jesus is who he says he is, what does it mean for me? And I don't think there's a neat answer, but I think there's a, a, an exciting answer of saying, I'm gonna keep on listening to him. I'm gonna keep on being a disciple. In conclusion, um, we're all scared of stuff, aren't we? Apparently, um, most people are scared of public speaking, uh, which I always find amusing since I've done it as a job for 40 years. Why? 
lot of people say, oh, I'm worried about what people think of me. And we have lots of fears, don't we? I love swimming, but put me in the ocean and say, go for a distance swim. I have an unusually high fear of sharks. I'm sure they're going to chop my little toes off and keep on going. I know it's not a reasonable fear, but that's what life's like, isn't it? We fear Alzheimer's. That's the, the highest fear that we have in, in medicine at the present moment. When I worked in palliative care, they used to, to, to um, the nurses there would have this list of uh, conditions that they fear. We fear people rejecting us. We fear being left alone. We fear our physical comfort, all these things. But can we ask ourselves the next time we're afraid, why am I afraid? You can ask the irritating question of yourself. Does this have anything to do with my trusting God and could I see this in a different way? In the midst of my fear, could I somehow nudge myself towards faith in Him in the midst of my everyday, in my crossing over from one thing to another? Could I trust Jesus in this? I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you for these uh, simple and deep stories in the Gospels. You know the lives we have and the crossing over from one side to another and the pain that happens and anxiety and trouble. Help us to have faith in you in the midst of those troubles. We don't know where it's going to lead us, but we do know that we can trust you for you are for us and not against us. We thank you that even in our bumbling faith, we are your people and you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.